بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on نهج البلاغة by Mizan Institute وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسله بالدين المشهور والعلم المأثور والكتاب المسطور والنور الساطع والضياء اللامع والأمر الصادع after the Imam, he testifies to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and lets us all know that he believes in La ilaha illallah such that this has permeated his entire existence where he said, وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ شَهَادَةً مُمْتَحَنًا إِخْلَاصُهَا مُعْتَقَدًا مُصَاصُهَا Where the Imam used these beautiful words to describe the la ilaha illallah that he believes in. It's not just a belief, but it's something that has permeated his existence. It's something that he believes in the core of. And I explained in our last session how that is the case. This is a this is a shahada or a testimony to the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has passed the tests and has proven itself in practice. Anyway, after all of that, the Imam moves on to the Holy Prophet and bears witness that that Muhammad is Allah's Abd and Rasul. Now one thing to point out, and you'll find this in a lot of places, is that when the Prophet is spoken of, like in our Salat, we have the same thing in the Tashahud. We say, أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَى اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ we bear witness that Muhammad was Allah's abd first and foremost, and then we say he was his messenger. And so this stands out, this idea to understand that the Holy Prophet is a servant of Allah first and foremost. Now I use the word servant, although abd means slave. And when we say abd, of course, and we use the equivalent of slave for it, it might have negative connotations in this day and age. But... We have to understand slavery or slave using that term for a person regarding another person should be seen as negative. But when we are using this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator, the one and only who, uh, whose commands we listen to and obey, if we want to really show and describe the obedience that is expected of us towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the best term to use will probably be slave. Because when we say servant, Servant kind of implies, okay, someone who serves someone else, they can or cannot if they wish. But when we say slave, that means this person as if has no will of their own, no decision and choice of their own. They are only looking at the mouth of their master to see what the master wants from them. The moment the master opens his mouth and says something, commands something, the slave is 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 working at it and working on it. And so... When it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should understand that you know this term shouldn't have any negative connotations. But at the end of the day, we can use slave, we can use servant, whatever suits uh, the brothers and sisters. But if we say servant, we have to say complete servant, totally obedient servant, I would say. So, ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu. First and foremost, Muhammad sallallahu is a perfect servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning what? Meaning he will carry out things that Allah wants from him totally. 
without any questioning whatsoever, without cutting any corners, without any compromise. Okay, a person like this, who is a proper abd of Allah, is the one who is suitable for prophethood. And so it says, abduhu wa rasuluh, and Allah's messenger. So, Imam Ali salam, who is so great, lets us know that he bears witness that Muhammad is the proper abd of Allah and messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. O people, this Prophet is such a blessing. Let me tell you why he's a blessing. And so he goes into details. First he speaks about what the Prophet came with, the religion that he came with, the book that he came with. Gives a few descriptions there. And why he came, what was the ultimate goal and purpose of him coming. And then the Imam goes into a lot of the traits and characteristics of the times that Muhammad was sent to his people. Those jahiliya times, those times of sheer ignorance that we probably are going to speak of in our next session. So today what we want to do is we want to speak about those two, those first two matters. Number one, what did the Prophet come with? What was he sent with? Number two, why was he sent? And then, as I said, in our next session we'll talk about the jahiliya times according to Imam Ali in this part of the khutbah. So he says, the Prophet was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the mashhur deen, with the mashhur religion. What does mashhur mean here? So when we look at the translation that we have for Nahj al-Balagha, it says Allah sent him with the illustrious religion, the well-known one. And so it seems that the translation has taken mashhur to mean famous because that is one of the usages of the term mashhur. But in this context here, and according to other commentators of Nahj al-Balagha, I've seen scholars say this, and personally I agree with this one more. Mashhur, I would say, usually is used for another meaning, and that is something that is unsheathed, uncovered, is not, is not hidden from people. So a Saif al-Mashhur, for example, means unsheathed or drawn sword. Something that is mashhur means that it has been um, taken out of hiding, it is unsheathed, so to speak, and it is accessible to all and clear to all, open to all. Okay, so here in this context, I would say that it's saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Holy Prophet with a religion that not as, as famous or well known, unless you want to say well known means that nothing about it is hidden. There is no, there's nothing that you have questions on in regards to the main tenets of this faith. Brothers and sisters, when the Holy Prophet came with, the, with his religion, it's not like he was hiding or sugarcoating any parts of it. No, he straight up came and said that, قُولُوا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ تُفْلِحُوا Say, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ There's no God but Allah. There's no one that is worthy of worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. تُفْلِحُوا you will be delivered, you will be saved. That was the teaching. It was very clear what he is saying. So it's not necessarily that this religion is a famous one, although it is famous. Islam is a famous religion, even during Imam Ali's time when he is delivering this sermon. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that right from the beginning, it was very clear, not famously known, but clear, which later on led to it being famously known, what the tenets of this faith are. It was clear that there is one Lord, there is one God, 
He is the only one to be worshipped. The idols are not to be worshipped. This faith has something called prayer in it. And this, this religion has a prophet and so on and so forth. And resurrection is going to happen for sure. And so many verses of the Quran make it clear that there is going to be a day of resurrection and a day of judgment and reckoning. So, Arsalahu Biddin al Mashur, I would say, would mean that Allah sent him with the clear religion. It is very clear and very obvious to everyone what the teachings and tenets of this religion are. What else did Allah send this Prophet with? Wal Alam al Ma'thur. Al Alam al Ma'thur. We have in the translation it says effective emblem. I don't know if that is a very accurate way to put it, but even if that is the translation one will use, it needs some explanation here. There is a difference of opinion uh, amongst the scholars in regards to what is meant here. Well, alam al ma'thur. But let's break down the terms here and see what we get out of it. Alam is used for a flag, used for a standard, a banner, a sign, maybe even anything that signals something else that points to something a beacon you can even say al-alam it just shows that there's something going on here okay now this deen i would say that the prophet has been sent with is also an alam but it is an alam that is ma'thur ma'thur comes from athar when something has a mark on something else leaves a mark on something else it has an athar on it. Ma'thur is something that you will find traces of um, elsewhere. To the point where we, even in our du'as, when it comes to our du'as, there are some du'as that are ma'thur du'as and some that are non-ma'thur du'as. So let me explain that. When you are reading, for example, the Islamic laws books uh, of, of respected maraji'ah, they will say, for example, yes, on the 15th of Shaban, or even, excuse me, dua books too. Um, they'll say that on this night, it is good to recite the different ma'thur duas that are in the hadiths, for example. What does that mean? That means duas that you will find traces of, you will find athar of in our main hadith sources. Non-ma'thur non dua will be a dua that it's not necessarily mentioned verbatim in hadiths. It's just a dua, a prayer that you do. You ask Allah for something. Oh Allah, uh, my auntie so-and-so is ill, make her better. Okay, that's a dua. That is a dua. That is you doing prayer for something to happen. You're asking Allah for something. But it's not considered a ma'thur dua, meaning that these exact words can be found in the sources. No. A ma'thur du'a would be like du'a kumail. When you read du'a kumail, you are reciting a ma'thur du'a. A du'a that has been, that you, you'll, you will find trace of in our sources. And so this is the difference between ma'thur and non-ma'thur. Now I'm saying all of this just so that we get a good idea of what can be meant here. The Prophet was sent with al-alam al-ma'thur. It's as if he came in with a flag that you will find traces of elsewhere. It is not something that you is, is that's strange to us. And so, what can be meant here is that this religion that he brought is like a is like a flag that we are familiar with, that we find traces of it elsewhere. Now, I want to say there's two ways that this is a familiar religion to us. Number one, 
it is in line with our fitra. When we look deep down inside our fitra, we find that the teachings or the main teachings of Islam are in line with our fitra. We don't, we're not estranged by the teachings of this faith. And so it's compatible with our fitra, which makes it a, a ma'thur religion, a ma'thur as if flag and banner that this prophet came with. That is one way it is ma'thur. Another way it can be ma'thur is that also, and this has been pointed out by some scholars as well, is that you will find traces of this religion in preceding religions. Faiths that came before this one, like Masihiyya, like Yahudiyya, and so on. So in, we'll call it Christianity and Judaism. And other Abrahamic faiths, if we have access to their teachings, their books. It says that, now, of course, in this day and age, one might, some might argue that, oh, the, the uh, Christian um, biblical text, for example, doesn't say anything about Islam. What is meant here is that if, they, if those original sources, that the original, that those scholars of those religions had access to during the Prophet's time, if they were to look into those, they would find traces of Islam, traces of a prophet to come after their prophets. Yes, And so this faith is a faith that you will find traces of in previous and preceding religions. So Al-Alam Al-Ma'thur, this prophet came with or was sent with a flag which symbolizes the religion he came with. This flag is Ma'thur though. You will find traces of it Within your fitra, you'll find traces of it within previous religions and books. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't end there. There might be other ways one can also interpret this part of the khutbah. But that's the best that I could come up with and uh, I could find. As I said, there are different opinions here. Wal-Kitab al-Mastur. This Prophet was also sent with Al-Kitab al-Mastur, which has been translated to the written book. Now obviously... This book uh, was not written um, or didn't come together as a book the way we have it today as it was being revealed to the Holy Prophet. But there, and there are different opinions. When was this book brought together? Was it during the Prophet's time? Was it later? Was it several times? And a whole discussion that we have there in regard to the Quran as a book. Um, then that is something to be discussed in the Quranic sciences. But all in all, what we know is that this book eventually came into a written form. And this written form is what we have access to today. Al-Kitab al-Mastur. So this Prophet came with a book. This itself is very important. One of the, one of the things that defines this religion, gives this, this religion its identity, is the fact that the, that the Holy Prophet came with a book. And such a book that is not going to be destroyed, is not going to be altered in a very horrible and significant way like we believe other books have undergone such alteration okay so while kitab al-mastur is letting us know that this is an important part of what the prophet came with we under, we have to understand it's not that the only the only thing is that the prophet came with a religion and that's it no 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 this religion that he came with one of those things that gives its identity is the fact that it, there is a kitab al-mastur involved in the whole thing. And of course we have in Surah Al-Tur, verse number 2, the same wording being used. It says, وَالتُّور وَكِتَابٍ مَسْتُور um, I swear by 
the Mount of Tur, and by the written book. So we have this in the Quran as well. And so what is meant by Kitab al-Mastur there, um, there is difference of opinion, but one of the views that some have held is that, yes, it's referring to the Quran there as well. But over here in this part of the sermon for sure, it's referring to the Holy Quran. This prophet came with this religion, this banner, this flag, this written book. Now all of this, I would say, this package is a sparkling gleam and effulgent light, it says here. Okay, So the Holy Prophet came with light. The guidance, I would say that this religion and this book that he came with, all of this equals light. And not just normal light, very strong light that has taken over every, everything, that encompasses everything, and that will give us light on the Day of Judgment even. This is the light that he's brought with. So in other words, this book and religion, they translate to light. Effulgent light, sparkling gleam that he came with. And finally, this prophet who came, he came with the decisive injunction. He didn't hold back at all. So the teachings were very clear. Okay, As I said, That Allah sent him with that clear faith that everyone knows about. It's clear. There's nothing hidden about it. And so the religion itself is clear. Sometimes the religion is clear, but you in practice, what you do is, you don't really uh, put it out there too much. You wait a little bit. You might compromise on delivering that clear message. But here it says, This prophet, he came with the clear religion and he openly preached it. He didn't hold back either. There was a time, of course, that he had to be undercover, so to speak, of course. And for the first few years of his uh, prophethood, it's not that he was openly uh, taking this message to everyone. But when the time came, he went out with Al-Amr As-Sadi'ah. And we have a verse in the Qur'an that uses the same term or the same root. Fasda' bima tu'mar wa'arid anil mushrikeen. Surah Hijr verse 94. That, O Prophet, so proclaim what you have been commanded and turn away from the polytheists. And so this Prophet openly, without holding back, without compromising, also delivered this message. So he came with that of that matter that is open. It's a decisive injunction, as it says here. But that is what is meant, at least according to some of these Mufassirin of Nahjul Balagha. That he didn't hold back. He came, he came strong. And he let the people know exactly what's going on with this message and religion without holding back at all. Now the sermon goes into some of the philosophy and reasons for and the wisdom behind why this prophet, this religion, this book was sent. Number one, with the arrival of this prophet of Allah, with this package of this illumination, this light, this Qur'an, this banner that you find traces of in previous religions and whatnot and is compatible with your fitrah, all of this is ahatan lishubuhat. To get rid of all the doubts. If anyone had any doubt in them, what's going on? What who is God? Is there a day of judgment or not? No, no. All of these things go to the side. All of these doubts are are cast aside and they will cease to exist. Why? 
because there's no reason to not believe in any of these things anymore when a prophet has been sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those people who might have had some doubt when the prophet comes and they acknowledge and understand that he's the prophet of Allah, they listen to whatever he has to say and they submit. And so all of these doubts that might have been there, they all cease to exist. وَاحْتِجَاجًا بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ Another reason that this prophet was sent is to present clear proofs. Now there are some people who it wasn't even about doubts for them. They all in all needed to to be presented some good arguments for God. Some good arguments for other things. For example, the Quran brings strong arguments for resurrection. They say, one of the arguments that they had was, hey, well, how, how is God going to bring us back to life when we've decayed and disintegrated and there's nothing left of us? We've turned into powder. The Quran says, well, The one who brought all of you together and to life the first time around. It's easier to, is it easier to bring something back when there's already something to work with, like powder, whatever it is, your, your bones have disintegrated, but there's at least something there for God to work with. The one who created them the first time around when there was nothing to work with, created you from scratch, that person, that same person is going to be able to bring you back the second time. So these are arguments that you find in the Qur'an. The Qur'an is full of these kinds of arguments. That if there was more than one God, If there was more than one God, if there was other gods, then the heavens and earth would have become corrupt and destroyed. And there's a whole argument, there's a whole argumentation of how if there's more than one God, it's impossible for there to be one more than one God because it will lead to destruction of everything. The Qur'an is pointing that out. For example, and of course each of these arguments need to be explained in their own way, but the point I'm trying to make right now is that when the Imam says it's saying that he is going to be using clear arguments to convince the people of those things they're supposed to believe in. Another one of those uh, clear proofs of the Holy Prophet is himself. We have to understand this as well. The Holy Prophet himself, when he announces his prophethood, one of those things that one of those arguments that's there that he is prophet is okay. We've known this person for forty years, in and out. He has he is a sadiq al amin, the truthful one, the trustworthy one. And so, if he is coming out and making an argument, excuse me, making a claim like this, and there's nothing in it for him, and he's putting himself in danger for this, we're going to accept it from him because we know his personality. We've known him all our lives. We've raised him. He's part of our tribe and our family. And so these are all bayyinat. So this Prophet comes with the Qur'an that has full, that's full of arguments. The Prophet himself is one of the bayyinat, I would say. And one of those strong arguments for the truthfulness of his claim. وَتَحْذِيرًا ayat. Another thing this Prophet, this package is doing is that it is warning the people. Through what? Through its verses, the verses of the Qur'an. The verses of Qur'an are the best warning for what is to come. It's no joke. This life is no joke. I don't understand how some people don't take life seriously, take it for granted, do things that endanger them sometimes for no reason. Why? Just to, just to get an adrenaline rush. There are people out there who do very dangerous things. They get adrenaline, adrenaline rushes from it. Good for you, but what have you accomplished? You have put yourself in danger. Some people lose their lives when it comes to these things. You've lost your life over something 
that wasn't worth it. And verses of Quran are telling you, make the most of this life of yours, warning us that if we don't, we're going to be in trouble later. It's no joke. This life is no joke. This life is not something that we're coming to just so we have a good time and go. Just so we get that adrenaline rush or that dopamine rush and then we we leave this dunya. No, no, that's not the case. Tahdiran bil ayat, all these verses that are telling us what is to come, what to expect, and that if we don't do what we're supposed to do, that we're going to be in big trouble. Resurrection day. What happens on resurrection day? How we will see certain things and experience certain things and we will look back and we will be super regretful over the time that we've wasted and lost. Tahdiran bil ayat. وَتَخْوِيفًا بِالْمَثُولَاتِ Takhweef comes from khawf. When you put fear in someone's heart, you are doing takhweef to them. Takhweef and putting fear in their hearts, how? Through punishments. Now, either these punishments are the punishments that the Qur'an is speaking of, and so this prophet, this package of the religion, it came to do to put fear into the hearts of people by letting them know of the punishments that are to come. That's one. But also, because it's unrestricted here and it's saying mathulat, all mathulat, all punishments, it can also be referring to the fear that was put into the hearts of the polytheists so that they turn away from their wrong ways. This, punish, this fear was put into their hearts through the punishments of this life that they underwent. Which punishments am I talking about here? The punishments that would happen to them through the believers, through the companions of the Prophet. I'm not talking, and I'm not talking about torture here. No. What punishment am I talking about? The punishments that Allah would send them even in this life through the battles that they went through and they would lose in a miserable way. So for example, the battle of Badr was a punishment for these disbelievers. It was a wake-up call for them. It shook them to the core that look, this small number of 313 of the Holy Prophet who are barely armed, who barely have camels and horses to ride on to fight, and then you, an army of a thousand or more, armed to your teeth, 100% sure that you're going to be successful in this and victorious after this battle, you get defeated. This shook them to the core. This was a takhweef by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then verses of the Quran speak about angels that Allah would send those unseen parties of God and, so, and, and soldiers of God that Allah would send, referring to the angels or even sometimes other things, other natural phenomena that Allah would use in favor of the mu'mineen against the mushrikeen to destroy them. These are also punishments that would strike fear into their hearts and try to wake them up that, look, there is a metaphysical uh, entity behind all of this there is a God that is helping this side, understand that and if you're not going to embrace this faith, be fearful so Allah's putting fear into their hearts by letting them know like look, look at what I'm doing look at what I'm, how I'm helping these people unless they don't help themselves, like in the battle of Uhud the Muslims hurt themselves and they learned a big lesson there, but other than the battle of Uhud, you don't have a defeat like that for the Muslimin, even if they were defeated they were defeated with honor. They were defeated in a way that the enemy still like kind of feared them. <laughs> and so you'll have the Battle of Ahzab, for example. The Battle of Ahzab miserably destroyed the Mushrikeen. And Allah speaks about the unseen aid that He sent their way. 
Okay, so this should put fear in their hearts that, okay, we're not just fighting another army, just another army here. This is an army <laughs> that is backed by something we cannot see, a power greater than all of us, or else these people should not be winning against us like this. So this prophet was sent to get rid of all doubt, was sent with bayinat and clear arguments so that there is no excuse left and people are convinced Warning the people with the verses of Quran and other signs. Okay, now here it said Tahdiran bil ayat. I said ayat of the Quran and verses of the Quran, but it can mean even more than that. There were other signs as well outside of the Quran that the Prophet came with that also were a warning to these people. And of course, finally, Takhwifan bil Mathulat that Allah put fear through this Prophet, through this package of this religion, into the hearts of these disbelievers so that they may return to Him and embrace his message. After going through all of this, the Imam then begins to describe the times of Jahiliyyah and how bad they were and how darkness had covered everything. And okay, this prophet, this package of religion was sent to these people of Jahiliyyah. It's an interesting uh, illustration that and painting that the uh, Imam paints for us, inshallah, in our next session. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.